and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media under Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Uh, send us comments, questions, concerns, it'd be great. And also, if you feel up to it, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Subscribe, follow. You know, and also if you've listened to a few episodes and you like or dislike what you hear, you know, be honest. Uh, but you know, give us a star rating or a review on whatever whatever platform you are hearing this. Uh, this really helps content creators, and in this case, we are the content creators, so it just helps us, and we really appreciate you. All right, folks, today we're going to be uh, talking about some big things here. Okay, Joe and I are going to be talking about that before Joe and I start talking about that thing, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, I'm going to start my early Ingmar Bergman marathon. So the early Bergman marathon will start today. And I just went ahead and just did one movie. I did his very first 1946 film, Crisis. And I kind of broke it down into like a little five, six minute uh, little thing that will kind of give you an idea of, of what the film is doing, what it's about, and how it kind of uh, lines up with Bergman as we know him. And then after the crisis talk... Uh, I'm going to meet up with Joe. We're going to talk about Star Wars A New Hope from 1977. Why that movie? Because today is its 44-year anniversary you know, of its release date, May 25th, 1977. And of course, today, uh, the day that this drops, at least, is May 25th, uh, 2021. So 44 years. We couldn't wait another year for 45. And uh, we, have a, we have a fun conversation about Star Wars. We talk about A New Hope. Uh, and then we also kind of get into the uh, trilogy as a whole, and then the prequels, and then the new trilogy, and very briefly kind of discuss the latter. Uh, but yeah, this was our chance to kind of just geek out about Star Wars. So anyways, uh, please enjoy that. I'm going to go ahead and shut up and let you hear my thoughts on Crisis, uh, the very first Ingmar Bergman film from 1946. Let's go ahead and do the thing. All right, everybody, I'm going to talk a little bit about the first film in my early Bergman marathon. It's called Crisis from 1946. Yes, 75 years ago. It was written and directed by Ingmar Bergman, of course, and uh, it was based on a Danish radio play called The Mother Animal, a.k.a. A Mother's Heart, a.k.a. The Mother Creature, a.k.a. The Maternal Instinct. (laughs) You know, it was known as all four things. And it's starring Inga Landre, Stig Olin, Marianne Lofgren, Dagny Lind, Alan Bolin, Ernst Eklund, and Signe Wirth. The film was released February 25th, 1946, and it you know, focuses on a small-town piano teacher who's shocked by the arrival of her foster daughter's real mother. The real mother, Ginny, is trying to get her daughter to leave the only small-town home she's known and to move to the city with her. The daughter, Nellie, is conflicted about leaving her foster mother, Ingborg, and the film follows this conflict. Now, this is not the type of Bergman film you think of when you think of, you know, The Seventh Seal, Wild Strawberries, Persona, Cries and Whispers, Fanny and Alexander, etc. Clearly, Bergman is just getting started with his career in film here. Now, you're not going to get Liv Ullman, B.B. Anderson, Gunnar Bjorstrand, Erland Josephson or Max von Sydow, basically the Bergman go-to cast later. 
You don't get that. And and you don't get Bergman's signature camera work, his existential struggle, his subtext, trademark creativity, or the truths one can find behind the often abstract style. Crisis is the first film by a filmmaker with potential. And Crisis is only interested in one thing. How is Nellie's conflict going to play out? What happens if Ginny gets Nellie to move to the city? How will Nellie respond? And what of Ingeborg? So maybe it's interested in more than one thing, but they all amount to the same thing, though. So I'm going to stick to my one thing. There's a lot going on in the film while simultaneously not doing very much, and that's what I'm getting at. It's a bit convoluted, trying to pack in a whole lot of content. For a melodrama, I mean, run-of-the-mill melodrama, too, it really ends up all over the place. A character trying to be funny over here, someone's angry over here, someone's you know crying over there, and a jovial celebration over here. It just feels disjointed. In 1944, Bergman wrote the script for the sweetest feature, Torment, and garnered some attention. Though it is rife with heavy-handed anti-totalitarian messaging, which is cool, but the heavy-handedness not so much. Also in 1944, Bergman became the manager of the Helsingborg City Theater, making him the youngest manager of a professional theater company in Europe. This being his immediate background prior to Crisis, I'm not surprised the writing of the film is lackluster, but his work with the actors seems pretty promising. One thing uh, Bergman likes to do with his actors is close-ups. His close-ups are legendary, but not only because you know they're beautiful, but they're generally packed with so much meaning. Now in Crisis, however, there are few, if any, close-ups, mostly medium shots, but he still shows some promise because he still can make someone feel isolated when they need to be, especially when the camera movement's pushing in on a character, making them feel trapped in the frame. Now, it's not as powerful as it later will become, but again, there's potential here. Now, I can only imagine Stig Olin's Jack will just annoy people these days, but I actually really like this character on an entertainment level only because he's not a great character, but the scenes I really enjoyed generally had him in them. Uh, he's just kind of a wacky, over-the-top kind of guy. But Jack was the real mother, Jenny's uh, much younger lover. And he was also used to win Nellie over to Jenny's side to move to the city, causing a great deal of conflict early on. Now, he has to, uh, to be a point of contention for most people watching it these days, I would assume. But I was fine with it. Now, I actually thought Dagny Lynn's Ingeborg was probably the best character overall, though just in general. Still a bit too melodramatic, but I found her to be the most captivating in the film. Basically, if you're going to watch Bergman, why not start at the beginning? Crisis isn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but it shows the promise of an international superpower to come. Some of the photography is still really beautiful if you're a sucker for crisp black and white photography like I am, but it's a run-of-the-mill kind of movie for Bergman. But, you know, there's competency at work here. So all in all, I gave it a three out of five, and you know, I may be generous, but overall, I had a positive experience. If you've seen it and agree or disagree, please hit us up on social media, Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find me at Austin Glidden on Twitter, and search Austin Glidden. You'll find me on Letterboxd, where I keep a diary of all the films that I've seen, the ratings, and usually a little blurb or so uh, on there as well, including Crisis. And um, yeah, I, I encourage you to check out Crisis. This is in the Ingmar Bergman Cinema 30-disc 
or I don't know if it's 30 discs, but it's 30 film box set put out by the Criterion Collection. I can't stress enough how incredible this box set is. I'm so excited to continue digging into it. I also have an Essential Fellini box set I have to dig into. We're gonna have a lot of stuff going on, guys. But this year marks the 75th anniversary uh, to the year of Bergman's first film in 1946. So that's really what we're digging into. We're going to spend quite a bit of time this year digging into Bergman and uh, bringing some guests in to talk about some of the movies. But for this early Bergman little marathon that I'm doing by myself, this was the first one. And and uh, I encourage you to go check it out, especially if you're curious about Bergman. I wouldn't say this is the best first Bergman movie to see. I would probably watch something else, um, probably like Wild Strawberries, maybe. Um, if you're, if you can handle kind of slow movies, but that are really awesome, Persona and Hour of the Wolf are really, really rewarding, but they're very slow for kind of, for a lot of moviegoers, they're very slow. I really, really love these. Fanny and Alexander would be a good place to start. That was, you know, a, a, a film in the eighties, um, as well as a TV, uh, miniseries as well. Uh, scenes from a marriage. I mean, there are a lot of movies that you can kind of start with to get an idea or a grasp of who Bergman is, and I kind of think with Crisis being his first film, that might actually be a good way to go. So do a little research or hit us up on social media. I'd be happy to give you a suggestion. But now, I'm gonna go see what Joe's up to, and we're gonna talk about Star Wars A New Hope from 1977, which today turned 44 years old. Let's go see what Joe's up to. All right, everybody, we are here today to talk about Star Wars, A New Hope, 1977, came out May 25th, that's right, today, 44 years ago. Now, Joe, I bet you're wondering, 44 years, a 44-year anniversary, is that special enough to do this? And I say, I don't care, it's my show. So we're doing 44-year anniversary, we couldn't wait till next year, it was too perfect, it fit right with our schedule. And that's what we're doing. Um, just jumping straight into it. Star Wars A New Hopes, written and directed by George Lucas, starring, <clears throat> deep breath, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Alec Guinness, Anthony Daniels, who played C-3PO, Kenny Baker, who played R2-D2, uh, Peter Mayhew played Chewbacca, David Prowse played Darth Vader the actor, and James Earl Jones did Darth Vader the voice uh who knew there were so many actors that no one would have a clue who they are but they know the characters better than probably any characters in any movie ever um yeah what a great movie again released may 25th 1977 check this out budget 11 million dollars which was over budget mind you for the movie Uh at the time box office to date 775.8 million dollars okay modest that's a 70 percent increase and i asked myself have we ever seen a success like this and then i thought well technically paranormal activity made more in terms of how many times over it made its its budget back uh it was actually 840 times uh in profit so that's a lot but this is a huge success of course i mean everybody knows this it's still to this day um a viable franchise so uh the film uh, you know, starts with Princess Leia being captured and held hostage by the evil Imperial forces in their effort to take over the Galactic Empire. Whiny know-it-all and soon-to-be hero Luke Skywalker and dashing Captain Han Solo 
team together with the lovable robot duo R2-D2 and C-3PO, as well as Han Solo's right-hand walking carpet, Chewbacca, to rescue the beautiful princess and restore peace and justice to the Empire. But of course, Joe, they only get as far as they do because of Obi-Wan Kenobi, also known as Ben Kenobi, uh, the last known Jedi to this point in the franchise. We watch their action-filled adventures unfold as they try to one-up the Empire and, by proxy, the dreaded Darth Vader. Um, I don't even really have much of a lead-up for you, Joe, uh, sure. just because like th this is one of those hard movies to talk about because we only have a limited amount of time, and sure. I feel like this is a movie that you could really just go on about so many yeah. different directions. There's so much history. I have mm -hmm. a few things I really want to hit, um, but just first, and, and I want you to be thorough, but brief here. Um, yeah. what's your history with star Wars and, and how do you feel about it? Rewatching the first one? Cause the first yeah. one's different. People kind of have these road, rose colored glasses for the original trilogy, but yeah. you know, some people go back and watch a new hope and they're like, Oh, I don't like this one as much. Yeah. Now I'll just out myself now. I, this is one of my, I mean, I'm an empire guy, empire strikes back, but this is my, I like this more than return of the Jedi. I love the first one, yeah. um, but some people aren't that way. And I get it. I, I watching it, you kind of get it, but you, I want your thoughts, you know, how do you feel yeah. about this? I, I do count it of the original trilogy. I do count it as third best um, personally. Um, and, and that's in the context of history, you know, you know, I, I mean, well, I mean, it, I, I guess outside the context of history maybe, but um, I, I think just in terms of what George Lucas did with the second and the third one, it, you know, it, it be, it went from becoming, I mean, this was, you know, I, I guess everybody knows the history of it. This was sort of a, not, not quite an out of nowhere hit, but it, no one was really prepared for what it would become. And obviously it was, it became that based off of this film, but I think the, the true quality of it really started with the empire strikes back. Uh, that was the, you know, most of the time a sequel is a is a precipitous drop off, and here it wasn't. It was, yeah. you know, it, it just it just elevated, and and I think most people consider Empire Strikes Back the best of all of the Star Wars films. I think that's, I don't know if that's a consensus, but I think that's a, a general, you know, a, you know, kind of a generally accepted statement among fans, especially. Yeah. But, um, but um, you know, obviously, you know, much like most people of my age, I mean, this this film came out about three months before I was born. And Star Wars was probably my first real science fiction love. Um, I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater. Um, I think that was technically the first one of the three I saw. Um, although I was obviously very well versed in what was going. I remember I owned like trading card sets oh, from yeah. The Empire Strikes Back, and I had all the. I remember full Christmases of of Star Wars toys that man, I wish I had kept track of and you know, didn't open and all that stuff. But, um, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade that, you know, the, oh, yeah. the memories of those playing with those toys for anything. But, um, you know, so when I saw that I was, you know, I was there um, already, I, I certainly knew everything. I, I probably had seen Star Wars, you know, A New Hope by then, but um, it, in some form or fashion, but I don't know that I saw it start to finish until after I saw Return of the Jedi in the theaters, um, unless it was on TV or something. But, I, you know, I was so young, it didn't matter anyway. Um, but no, I mean, you know, it's, it, it is in the context of the franchise, you know, I have, I have thoughts on it in terms of where it fits, but, um, 
you can't deny what, you know, just the, you just look at this and you think the imagination here, the, you know, what he, the, the universe that he built, George Lucas built in creating this movie was, was pretty remarkable. Um, the, just the, just the droids. It's, it's so funny how little we kind of regard them. I think, you know, in terms of just kind of casual fandom, C-3PO and R2-D2, but they were, you know, they were as big as stars in this, I think, almost as the, the human characters, so to speak. Although, you know, technically, I think they weren't human. Maybe they were. I'm still not really clear about that. Um, you know, whether Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker and Han Solo are humans. Because um, <laughs> I know Han Solo is is Corellian, so that's not human. He looks like a human. Yeah. But, you know, but I digress. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> I'll but, say um, this real quick on your point with the with the droids. George Lucas... Uh, um, and I'm going to touch on this a bit more later, so I'm not going to blow the load too early to use uh, okay. a sexual phrase. Um, but uh, anyways, I uh, yeah, he he intended for the droids to kind of be the crux of the film, actually. Like yeah. we're supposed to like the whole the film's supposed to follow them. Now, of course, we get our heroes and our. You know, C-3PO is by no means a hero, per se, you know? Sure, yeah. And R2-D2 could kind of be considered, but he has limitations, you know? So they have their own purpose. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think think you're on to that. I I think regardless of popularity, even, they are, like, vitally important to the story. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, yeah, maybe the through line of, of all of the films... And and it's almost and while that's that's really cool, it's it's almost done as a it almost feels shoehorned toward the end, especially the last three films. Yeah. Um and, and even the in the prequels, sometimes it was kind of um it, you know, it, it kind of felt forced, but when Anakin's building C three PO Yes it's uh, fucking stupid, dude. I'm sorry. Dude. I'm sorry. That's just well, too it, much. It is, and it, it ruins the it ruins the continuity of uh, you know, in a lot of ways to this film, but, but, you know, George Lucas, you know, ha- he, it was almost, he had to almost ruin the continuity in some, in some instances, but I mean, we, you know, we can sit and talk about those choices. All oh, we day, are, but... we are going to Joe. <laughs> oh, that's what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so he, uh, yeah he, he torpedoes the continuity and, and that's, you know, I always have this argument with people, not maybe not an argument, a discussion, but I always say that, you know, the, and I remember, even my stepdad telling me in the eighties that George Lucas had like nine or 10 films planned for star Wars. Like that was always the plan. And that was, the story was already written and, you know, and I've heard that so many different, you know, so many different places And to that. I say bullshit. Oh yeah. Like I think he had a loose outline at best. I know that there, you know, I, I know like back in the day, like he was, he was Luke's star, star killer or something. And, and I think the the maybe the plan was that always, Darth Vader was always his father, but it was other than that. I think the and that and that Darth Vader was supposed to be had been a good guy who turned bad and was a hero and had been was friend. But I don't. These stories were not written no. before. Let me you tell know. you what I think, and tell me what you think of this. Sure. I don't think he had any plans of doing a second movie until he uh-huh. saw how this first one did. That's what I believe. Yeah. But yeah. after the success of this, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, in 1981, they re-released the film, put a new hope under it. I yeah. believe mm-hmm. maybe that after the success of this, he wrote out outlines of how he could do a bunch of movies. Yeah. I could see that being true. Mm-hmm. But having it all done at the top, right. he didn't think this was going to be popular. 
And he's right. not an idiot. He knows he can't just make sequels because he wants to. Yes. I don't buy it. I'll, I'll yeah, never yeah. buy it. Even if I hear it from his voice, I will not buy it. Right. It's very difficult liar. to believe. He's a goddamn liar. And I, I and I, it would be really hard to believe for that reason specifically. Uh, yeah. Because any anybody in the industry, I mean, dude, The Matrix, they made the first Matrix movie. And then what they do? They made the next two back to back. Like not everyone gets to do the Lord of the Rings treatment. Just make them all at once. Sure. You know, even The Matrix, which got huge. Yeah. But they didn't make all three at once. They made them afterwards. Right, I just yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. Again, Lord of the Rings was kind of a shoe-in franchise because of the popularity of the books, and they knew that they could really, really sell that. I get that. Same with the later Star Wars movies. I'm sure they had those mapped out well beyond, yeah. like before, you know. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. Anyways, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna trash talk Lucas so hard here soon. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. I'll say well, this, man, about about your about your thing with A New Hope. Here, let me tell you why I like A New Hope better than Return of the Jedi, even okay. though I don't necessarily think one is a better film than the other. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the the reason I do is because I I have a soft spot in my heart for origin stories and underdog oh. stories, which is what Star Wars was. Star yeah. Wars, of course, being uh, an amalgam of a bunch of different things George Lucas loves. Not you know, chief among them, old westerns. And uh, and Flash Gordon serials, absolutely. So he makes these. He he starts creating this story, and if you look at it, I, I want to say I could be wrong again. Don't I'm going to say don't quote me on this a bunch this episode because you know in school this is the era that I studied in film history. This was my favorite. This new Hollywood era from about '66 yeah. to about 1980. It was where a bulk of my studies went in. Also, the independent scene in the '90s too. Um, but this was this was a big bulk of it, right? So yeah. Star Wars, though, was not something I focused as much on. I was much more interested in the Scorsese pictures and the Bogdanovich pictures and the Coppolas and sure. stuff like that. However, even something like American Graffiti or THS uh, or THX eleven thirty eight, like those Lucas ones, just because they were very much like seventies movies, you know what I mean? But this was so popular that I didn't quite put as much time in. So uh, some of the some of the stuff, I say, don't quote me on this, because some of the information I have in my head uh, could yeah. have been mutated over over the last decade. But sure. um, but I'm pretty sure the, the budget was somewhere around like $9 million or something. Like, it started off much low. It was like 8 or $9 million. And then it just like kept going over budget, kept going over budget. And eventually they're like, dude, you have to make this movie. So he makes the yeah. movie. He's unhappy, Lucas is. It's not what yeah. he envisioned. But it's good enough. Sure. Now, uh, I love this kind of underdog thing, though, because he's using, like, he uses, like, puppets mm -hmm. and shit <laughs> originally. Uh -huh. And he, which I love. I love the old effects. I'm not even saying the 19, I, I've never seen the 1977 version. We'll really? talk about why, because yeah, yeah. it literally doesn't exist. But, um, but I have, I've seen, I've seen the changes. Right, like with yeah. the changes they've made, and I have seen versions like the the laser disc version, which still has the little puppets and stuff. I want to yeah. say the laser disc version is the eighty one re release, but I could be wrong. It doesn't okay. matter. The point is, so don't quote me on that. That's going to be my my phrase yeah. of the day. Um, but I, uh, I I love that old feel. I love that it feels of its era, but it's still kind of incredible. 
you know? Yeah. And and all of the all of the effort that Lucas and his vision that he put into something that, you know, never makes money, these movies, you know? Yeah. Um and and, and the, you know, they're called sci-fi movies. And something like two thousand one I would call a sci-fi movie. This is like yeah. an action adventure fantasy or something. Yeah. You know, I mean we call it sci-fi and I, I I'm gonna keep using that phrase. But like yeah. fantasy movies until the eighties, whenever you got some like Really cool, hard fantasy movies. I don't feel like yeah. those sold quite as well. I don't yeah. know. We can debate about that later. My point is, A New Hope. I really love, and 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 uh, I love it as like, dude, the, the world that he builds, like that's where it's built, dude. There's like the scene where Luke Skywalker's fighting like the little floating droid with the lightsaber. He's trying to learn, and uh-huh. that whole sequence, though, not just him fighting, but that whole scene. Um, Alec Guinness as Obi Wan is just like telling all this history and all this lore. Yes. And it's just great. I just right. love those scenes. Yeah. Because you're like really learning about like all this kind of minutia in this world. You don't get that with any of the new ones, but you also don't get that with like many movies at all anymore. Like right, just yeah. someone like really building a world. I love it. And everything kind of feels lived in. The first time you go into the cantina, give me a break. Yes. So many different races and species of people. Yeah. It's really great. But then you have Revenge of the Jedi, or no, sorry, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Too many. Um, but anyways, the, the original title. Yeah, Re- Return of the Jedi is like an action movie. Like yeah. if you watch that back to back, I watched the trilogy a few years back. Mm-hmm. If you watch it, it stands out like a sore thumb in comparison to the yeah. other two because it's sure. very much an action movie. Now the only yeah. reason I'm okay with it kind of losing some of its, its, uh, I don't know, depth maybe. It's because it is the final thing. Like, it is, it's the the third act of the movie, if you look at the trilogy as kind of a whole thing. So, you know, you get these big dogfights in space, and you get, like, these big fights with, with uh, at the time, the new Jabba the Hutt. Um, right. You know, the big monster and all that stuff. And it's great, dude. I, I really do love it. And I, I love a lot of the... Uh, Special yeah. effects and stuff in it, um, but man, I, I just I gotta go with the New Hope. Now, Empire, well, I think I'll, I don't think it'll ever be beaten, and it's not that I don't think it could be. It just does things so well that yeah. I don't think oh, yeah. anyone will let the movies be that good anymore. And and I think a large portion of it too is is Lawrence Kasdan and uh, Leah or Lee Brackett, the the writers for that. Lu- Lucas didn't write them or direct right. them anymore; he's just producing them. And honestly, sure. though I like him as doing. The first movie, you know, I don't think he's that great as a no. writer. <laughs> so, no, no, he's so not, he'd no. be like, you know, he look at, look at the prequels. Yeah. yeah and, oh, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think, but I think he knows that at this point to an extent and yeah. doesn't want the hardship of doing that. I mean, he's already probably made millions and millions of dollars off this movie. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't know. Long story short, I just, I have a soft spot in my heart for A New Hope. I really love how just kind of traditional hero's journey fantasy it is, you know, the introduction. But I want to get into a couple things, though, because I've been skirting and, like, avoiding saying certain things in that whole <laughs> bullshit I just spewed out. Yeah. Um, I, w- I want to talk about the actors real quick. And and I'm going to mostly avoid the main people because th- there are some people that should be talked about. We all know who Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher are. But I want to yeah. talk a little bit first about Sir Alec Guinness. Sir Alec Guinness, knighted by the Queen. He was a huge British star. Alec Guinness is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Lucas got a big name with Guinness, who had uh, 
briefly, or briefly, I just burped and it distracted me. Anyways, Alec Guinness, he was in Great Expectations in 1946, big movie. Oliver Twist in 1948, big movie. Kind Hearts and Coronets in 1949, and The Lady Killers in 1955. Not as big a movies, but fantastic. I'll talk about those in a minute. The Bridge on the River, Kwai in 1957. Lawrence of Arabia in 62. Dr. Zhivago in 65, and that's only to name a few. He died in 2000 at the age of 86, but he was largely known for his comedies early on. Joe, I don't know if you know this. And so, you know, of course he did a share of serious performances, but he started in dark comedies like Kind Hearts and Coronets, and The Lady Killers, uh, which were both Ealing films. And there were several Ealing films that he was involved in. And the Ealing films were part of Ealing Studios, which was a television and film production company. And, you know, uh, it was uh, basically a facilities provider for the Ealing Green in West London. And basically, this this studio was heavily influenced by Charlie Chaplin's uh, Monsieur Verdoux in 1947, which uh, that movie is awesome. If you haven't seen it, that movie is really awesome because it follows uh, this suave and cynical man played by Chaplin. Uh, this is not the tramp either. I mean, he is just acting in this. He talks. This isn't like a Chaplin tramp. This is post-tramp. Um, and, uh, you know, he's suave and cynical. And, uh, you know, uh, he's trying to support his family by marrying and murdering rich women for their money. That's what he does. That's the whole movie. It's him yeah. like marrying these women, buttering them up, getting married, murdering them. This is 1947. He's like murdering these people and then taking their money. It's fantastic. Uh, Criterion put it out. If anybody's interested, uh, you can definitely find it around. I mean, it, it's really great. And um, uh, yeah, just what a dark, what a dark uh, plot line, right? So, uh, kind hearts and coronets. Uh, Alec Guinness plays eight characters in that, including women. Wow. Because he's, um, he's, uh, it's the, uh, oh, what is their name? Uh, the Descoins, the Descoin family. And the yeah. whole movie is about this, this, uh, distant relative who, uh, wants his kind of chunk of the change, but his mother is a part of the Descoin family, but his father was like a foreigner. And so Alec Guinness's Descoin family kind of shuns him a bit. But he works his way back in, and he starts murdering off the Descoins one by one until he can become the top, the Duke of the Descoin <laughs> family and get all the riches. What a dark story, but you can already see kind of how the Mersu Verdoux influence is. And then, of course, we know the story of the Lady Killers because of the very mediocre to bad Coen Brothers remake. It's the same movie, um, but just, like, much better and from, like, 1955. I bring all these up because Alec Guinness... Like, if you watch his movies, why he's Obi-Wan Kenobi, I have no idea, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I actually knew Alec Guinness from these old dark comedies, because I actually never knew he was Obi-Wan Kenobi when I started watching these. Like, I knew who Obi-Wan Kenobi was, but I never right. put together, I hadn't watched it in so long when I started watching a lot of these dark comedies and stuff. I didn't know he was the guy, you know? Yeah. And so I knew him from, like, these older movies, you know? And then sure. I watched it, and I'm like, oh, shit, that's Alec Guinness. That's awesome. <laughs> My point is, if, if you're not versed in Alec Guinness movies, Obi-Wan, unfortunately, is, like, the only thing he's ever known for anymore, it seems like. Yeah. And, and he's great. Don't get me wrong. I love him as Obi-Wan. But, dude, he has so many good movies. And I only bring up this little caveat just to say, 
Like, yeah. you got to go watch some of these movies. Kind Hearts and Cornets is really great. It's a little slow for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just, I think it's so funny. Like, so right. funny. Because uh, he's yeah. just murdering these people. <laughs> and the funny, like, but it's, like, funny somehow. I don't know. Yeah. It, dude, I don't know. He, like, locks a person in this this building where they're, they're, uh, they're uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, developing film. And he mm-hmm. sets the building on fire. And all you see is smoke over the trees. <laughs> and for some reason, yeah. I'm just, like, cracking up. It's like, that's yeah. not funny. It's terrible. Right. But man, uh-huh. is it funny in this movie. Alec Guinness is great because he plays, like I said, eight characters. Anyways, yeah. uh, I don't. How, how do you feel about Obi-Wan? I don't expect you to have seen a ton of his stuff prior to that. Sure. But yeah, I've, yeah of, you know, of Alec Guinness movies, I've, you know, I've seen Bridge on the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia, and I think that's it. Um, Bridge on the River Kwai is amazing film yeah you know of course uh, lawrence of arabia also of course um but those uh, david lean productions he's good yeah 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 but um you know uh, you know as obi-wan kenobi yeah he yeah and i recall him being the you know the name and you know it there's just it seems like there's times it's it's kind of funny to watch the original and to and to see him as kind of a centerpiece of what you know because he, obviously he's so important to you know to the overall to the 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 complete overarching story that it's it's fun to just see the man his mannerisms or lack thereof compared to you know the way um, Ewan McGregor plays him you know years later and you know it, to wa- to kind of watch it in a modern context it's kind of funny to see his lack of like his lack of, I don't want to say lack of nuance, but it's, you know, he didn't either the, the, some of these things weren't established or he just didn't care about, you know, what, what kind of background there was to a degree because he just kind of did his thing, right? He was just like the kindly old man in a sense, but he had, he had this really cool way about him. I, I, like I, I enjoy what he did with it. Obviously he didn't have the context or the background that they have now, you know, now, now there's these huge restrictions, you know, a, a Jedi is a certain thing. And, and the, the thing that always catches me is just before he starts fighting Darth Vader, he calls him Darth. Yeah. Which like is funny. Him, yeah. yeah which As is if it's his first like, name. Yeah. It's like, it's not even his first name. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's a title. <laughs> it's yeah. like him calling somebody Mr. Or Dr. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Mr. You know, yeah. In, in a familiar way. Yeah. And, but it's, you know, it, it, he's, he's really good. You know, obviously you can, you can tell maybe that in, you know, and he kind of famously didn't love the material, sure. you know, um, but, and, and it, I guess maybe it shows sometimes, but at the same time, it's fine because he doesn't have to, because that's kind of his character. He's detached from a lot of things. He, he's kind of the old man. He's like, I did this a long time ago and I'm, you know, like, all of this stuff is dumb. All these people are idiots and I'm smarter than all of them, which, you know, which he is. And, you know, all, and I'm talking about specifically the people on Tatooine, you know, the people, you know, uncle Owen, the people who badmouth him constantly. He's like, ah, ah, those idiots, you know, um, he's like, yeah, you don't worry about them. But, um, but, but he does that without being a jerk about it. You know, he, he does, he does it in a, in a, he's, you know, he, and he's Luke Skywalker's kind of old, crazy friend he's doc brown to a degree yeah it, you know if you want to have a, a comparison like that um 
but he's not except he's not crazy like he's he's doc brown if doc brown was like legit a genius and not somebody who kind of like fumbled into you know the greatest discovery in the history of the world yeah but um but he's but he's because he's just the straight badass who just you know is does what he wants and gets around and he's just like i just choose to live in a cave or you know off somewhere by myself because i'm in hiding because you know you're the son of the the galactic overlord of the universe and the most evil man in the universe and i've got to protect you you know yeah. although of course that's not a thing at this point even either but uh, it's funny but, but because still, it's, it's fun yeah you know, it's, it's, it's funny because sorry say what you just no, said go ahead i'm done okay uh alec uh alec guinness it's funny because it you have to understand, Alec, this movie also kind of like, I wouldn't say ruined his career, but like he didn't do that much after this. Right. Um, and a lot of it was like TV stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're talking about a guy that was like, it's like if Al Pacino was in an MCU movie. Do you right. get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he kind absolutely. of stands out. It's kind of a weird thing. He's done all yeah. these kind of serious roles generally. He was in like mm-hmm. The Irishman. More recently, right. right? And then he's yeah, he's in yeah. like what Black Widow? Like, what if he was in that or something? You know, like it would just be like really weird. Uh-huh. It's different than like Joaquin Phoenix being the Joker. Like, yeah, he's yeah. been in serious stuff, but he's also done other. Th- I don't know. It just seems fitting to me sure. that role. Yeah. But I can't imagine. And Alec Guinness was that. What I don't think people understand is this guy was like a big like name, like marquee name guy at the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, people don't know that now, but this guy would have right. been a selling point. It's also important in terms of history to understand this movie was targeted at every audience. So Alec Guinness was a huge way of bringing in British audiences. Uh, a lot of these characters and stuff were built the way they were to sell toys. Like, yeah. you know, like it was yeah. all marketing and mm-hmm. and uh, all that, which very smartly. I'm not, I don't mean that as a criticism. Uh, sure, they, yeah. they did a really good job. At kind of figuring out the almost like the the McDonald's formula of how can we get people to come to us and not Burger King, right? Um, yes. And and he made something that clearly has been a franchise and lasted the test of time. Um, but yeah, Alec Guinness was huge. I want to talk about another guy real quick just to keep this moving. Uh, Declan Maholan. Does this name ring a bell to you, Joe? I can't say I'm real familiar with that name. Declan Holan. Job of the Hutt was just a dude in the yes. original 1977 film. Right. Declan Holland played Job of the Hutt. It's just a guy in like yeah. weird barbarian furs or something. Like he just look, he just looks like a normal dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you right now. For as much as I knew about this movie, I actually had no idea. Yeah, yeah. That this well, dude, and, and that this was a, just a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's really fun to see that and. You know that you know that was a cut scene, right? Like he he wasn't actually in the movie, right? In the original movie, he, he was, was in the original nineteen seventy seven film. He was, but he was cut out of the eighty one, I believe. Okay, because by that point, as we already talked about, they knew what they were doing with the story, and the whole yeah. time Lucas wanted Jabba the Hutt to be a monster, but technology in nineteen seventy seven hadn't caught up to his imagination. So, right. like Jabba was just a dude. Now, again, don't quote me on this, everyone. I'm pretty sure, sure however. Uh, I know for a fact it was on television when they would show it on TV. It was yeah. in, I'm pretty sure that it was in some of the re-releases prior because it was released in 77, I think 78 or 9, and then 81 and 82 kind of okay. leading through. It was re-released in theaters, also showing how popular this movie was. It had four releases before the third film. 
yeah. um, in theaters, and they were all successful to my to my understanding. Uh, but yeah, Declan Maholland, Job of the Hut. Everybody was not a big slug monster. Yeah, it was just a dude. I actually yeah. think this is kind of amazing, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I like Job of the Hut. Don't get me wrong. Like the, the slug yeah. guy that we think of. Yeah, I hate him. In yeah. the re-release of A New Hope, we're going to talk about my experience oh, watching okay. the Disney it's Plus terrible. version. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like it just being a dude, and it, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of weird because. You know, like, of course, they had to cover him up with CG in the new versions because Return of the Jedi was so popular with the iconic um, yeah. Jabba the Hutt. And he's great. Like that whole Muppet thing that they have going on, whatever that uh, animatronic yes. thing, whatever it is, really fantastic. I don't know what it would literally be called. I've seen how it works, but yeah, yeah. Uh, really impressive, really right. cool. Yeah. Six years later, and they can finally do a little more of what George Lucas wanted, but it changes the whole game. So yeah, I think that I'm pretty sure it was in the original, but then I think it got cut. Yeah. And maybe it was cut from the whole thing. You might be right, but I, yeah, my understanding. Uh-huh. So again, don't quote me on this. Yeah. Was it was in the original film. I think it was then cut so that uh-huh. for continuity's sake in the future. Okay. Um, but I, again, I could be wrong. Yeah. I always heard it was a cut. I didn't. I didn't know, even that there was a, a version from seventy seven to eighty one. I didn't even know there was a different, a diff, yeah, a different cut of it that was. But because so that that was, that would be the version that I grew up watching too. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that's the case. So yeah. yeah so, but, so same. Right. That's why yeah. I say like I don't think I've ever seen the original, and you can actually go on YouTube, everybody, and you can find comparison videos of the different versions. And they'll show yeah. you all these little differences. And they're not long. They're less than 15 minutes usually. Um, mm-hmm. But you'll see the 77 version with Declan Mulholland. And then you'll mm-hmm. see the CG version in 1997. Then you'll see the upgraded version in 2015 or whatever it yeah. was. Uh, so, yeah, Jabba the Hutt was just a dude. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher kind of all together. And I'm going to pass this off to you in just a second. Uh, I'm sure. gonna t- but we're going to talk about Han Solo last because he's okay. going to lead me into something else. Um, but, uh, you know, Star Wars was the first major role for, uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. They, Carrie Fisher had been in a few things prior. Hamill, I think had been in some TV or something, maybe one movie, a small role, but these, this was like their first kind of big breakout. And, uh, Harrison Ford, of course, this was his breakout as well. However, he was also in, uh, f- several things, but American Graffiti, which is also a George Lucas film from 1973. It's pretty fun. You guys should watch it. And uh, the Francis Ford Coppola film, The Conversation, starring Gene Hackman, a phenomenal film up for Academy Award. That came out the same year Godfather 2 came out as well. So he had two masterpieces coming out that year. I think it often gets overshadowed because of Godfather Part 2. If you've not seen The Conversation, I mean, we might talk about it as one of my favorites. I'm not sure, Joe. We'll see. But... Uh, yeah, so this was a, a huge, I mean, this set off the careers of all these people, including Harrison Ford, again, who had done stuff before, but this really shot him into stardom and really sure. propelled him kind of into that Indiana Jones, you know, that probably gave him the, uh, stepping stone, so to speak. But I want to yeah. start with Hamill real quick. I'm curious how you think of Hamill as Luke Skywalker, uh, cause you know, whenever he drops the line, I used to shoot swamp rats and they're yeah. no bigger than two meters I just right. want to be like, why is Luke such a know-it-all little bitch? Right. That's how I feel yeah. about Luke. 
Um, yeah. Again, I still love I love this movie so much, but um, man, like you just don't think of Luke Skywalker being a little whiny bitch, right? Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. How do you feel Luke, about him? Yeah, yeah. This Luke Skywalker, yeah, he he is. He's he's annoying and, and irritating, and and yeah, and that's to me is the the great thing about the character is how much he grows. I yes. mean, he's not he's not a particularly deep character you know, all, you know, all around, but that's the one thing about him is the growth he, he sees from even just to the second movie, he's different. He's still a little, you know, he's still a little bit impetuous and, you know, he, you know, he has the thing where he doesn't listen and runs off and, you know, he's a little, <laughs> you know, a little bit, a little immature, but, but this first one, he's, yeah, he is, he's whiny as hell. He gripes and complains and, you know, about just about everything. And he just comes off as, yeah, is just, yeah, just a, a whiny bitch, like you said. That that's a perfect characterization. It is a perfect and, characterization, Joe. Yeah, because yeah, it, it, go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, no, I, I was going to say that the the one thing that, and this is funny, and I don't know, maybe it's sacrilege even to say it, but uh, you know, I when I was watching this time, the one thing that hit me was was that famous that famous scene where he's staring at the the two suns setting. And, you know, and it's the real, like, it's the introspective moment. And he's like, oh, I'm stuck in this place, yeah. you know, and the music swelled. And I was like, he didn't really earn that as a character. Like, all he has done up to this point is gripe at his uncle and be like, eh, this is essentially like he's he's crying because he didn't get what he, like, he doesn't get his way. And yeah. now he's out there staring wistfully at, at, at binary sons you know, while the music swells and I'm like, this is kind of weird. And it's yeah. almost off putting that, that he's, you know, two minutes ago, he was whining a couple minutes before that. He was whining at the droids about how he's <laughs> stuck here and, Oh, play the, play the message, play the message. And eh, why don't you put, you know, and I want to see that hot here. girl that keeps, you know, looking hot, <laughs> yeah. but that will turn out to be my sister. <laughs> yeah. That's a weird thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's a cool moment, but it's, it's not, he doesn't really earn it as a character to, to be able to have that moment. He didn't, he's not sacrificing something. He didn't lose something. Yeah. He's just pissed off because he can't go to his, the Academy that he wants to go to, you know? Yeah. So I, so I totally, I agree with you 100% here that, that it doesn't earn it. And, and just to, to throw this into kind of future things like movies, uh, I think sure. like, so you and I talked about the MCU. I'm not talking about that now, but I'm just saying like during that sure, conversation, sure. though, I did talk about a lot of blockbusters at large these days, how they mm -hmm. don't earn, a lot of their like emotional moments. This is a perfect example of what I think so many movies today do where yes. they try to make you earn it because they give you kind of a, a cliche that you can attach to like, mm -hmm. Oh, okay. His father was killed and he needs revenge. So this guy has earned this emotional moment. It's like, no, that by itself doesn't. It's the development of that thing. And this yeah. film also, um, kind of falls victim to that but but I, I do want to touch on something else though why i love mm -hmm. why i simultaneously love and hate luke in this movie sure it's a bittersweet relationship i have with luke <laughs> but i ultimately love him because for the same reason with han solo which i'll get to in a moment uh these guys are so different at the beginning okay. and they turn out by return of the jedi so different by the end yeah and that kind of character development I mean, you and I talked about Iron Man and Cap, like Captain America being different, but that was like what twelve movies? 
Yeah. They do this in three. Yeah. And it's like right. fairly believable. Like I, I don't, yeah. it doesn't stand out is I guess what I'm saying, you know, I mean, sure. we could probably nitpick it, but like I'm into it and we don't, we also, I mean, there's obviously time between the movies. So clearly there's some maturing going on between the movies. I mean, by the third one, he's an action star. I mean, he's like, yeah. he's like a, uh, Douglas Fairbanks and like, you know, being <laughs> some like action adventure pirate or something, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. So, so Hamill's little whiny bitch. And Carrie right. Fisher's pretty consistent through the whole thing, though. I think. Yes. I think yes. she's great. Mm-hmm. I don't have much oh, to say about her. Do you have anything to say about Carrie Fisher? No, I mean she's great, and and um, I, you know what? I do have something to say about her, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story. Um, yes, you are, Joe. I, You're doing it right now. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so Princess Leia is amazing. Carrie Fisher is amazing as her. But I want to tell this story about Carrie Fisher that made my son into a meme. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. You have not. Okay, so um, Carrie Fisher was here in in at the Indiana Comic Con in 2015, <laughs> and um, um, I, I attended there with with my oldest son Riley and my cousin, and then well, one of my best friends, and you know, and a couple of their kids. And I was actually on a. I actually was doing a movie critic panel myself um, for the Comic Con, and it was oddly enough programmed not straight up against Carrie Fisher but during like I had to so basically I get I got to go and then duck out like 20 minutes in to go do my panel and so I got to see her and but um but we actually we got there um early and Jason Momoa uh you know Aquaman Game of Thrones etc etc um he was there and my cousin was sitting pretty close to the front during his session and then it cleared out and we, we snagged front row seats. So, so, um, so I, I actually didn't even sit in those seats, but, but my son sat with my cousin and, and my friend and, you know, the, that entourage there, he was right there in the front row. So I left and went and did my session and I come back and, or, or not, I didn't come back. Um, they showed up at the end of it. They walk in and they're like, you won't believe what happened. And I'm like, wow, what? And they, they said, so she was sitting there talking and she mentioned how she was bipolar and how she was suffering from bipolar disorder. Of course, that's, a, you know, with Carrie Fisher, that's a huge, you know, like that's a, you know, it's a big thing that she talk, yeah. has talked extensively about and written about, et cetera, et cetera. And so while that was happening, my friend leaned into Riley because Riley didn't understand what that meant. And he tried to really briefly explain what that meant. And she noticed that and she laughed and she says, oh, and, and keep in mind, like this hall is full. I mean, there's got to be, I don't know, a thousand people in there. And she stops and she laughs and she's like, oh, this this guy is explaining to this little boy what what that means because he doesn't know what it means. And so she starts talking to Riley individually and she's like, this is what it means. And she lists it out and she like goes through the whole thing. And I was like, that's amazing. Like she's sitting there talking to Riley. So I, you know, like, but then we went about our business and about two weeks later, I find a tweet from someone where they talk about how she did that. And then I found an article in the Indianapolis star about it. And then, um, and then I found a meme about it where it's the meme is just titled Carrie Fisher explains to a little boy what bipolar disorder means. And it, and it just has like the little screenshots of her 
there there has been at least two articles written about that. So it went viral, I guess. And then it went viral again, I guess around the time she died. So there was a second story written about it in the star. And people, so um, among the people who commented and discussed that was Olivia Dabo, who um, people might know from the Wonder Years. She played Kevin Arnold's older sister in the Wonder Years. So she was a regular cast member. She's not a huge star, but she's been in a bunch of stuff, you know. Um, and I was like, I thought that was awesome. I was like, I can't believe, like she's sitting there talking about my son. And, yeah. and then a couple of years later, so there's all these articles, but she, but she literally stopped the entire, this is, you know, just one of those Q and A things. Oh, I'm here to talk about being princess Leia for, and she's like, screw that. I'm going to talk. Number one, she had her little dog with her and he was like giving, like I've got, so I even took pictures of that before I left. Um, where she's like kissing her dog. Like her dog is like literally licking her lips like inside of her mouth. <laughs> but, but anyway, but she stopped the whole thing to explain that to my son. And it was, it's just like this really heartwarming emotional thing. I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll post on our, I'll, I'll find that they'll run it down and, and post it. Um, but it was such a cool thing. And, and I, I always kind of regretted that I didn't get to actually see it until I found the video footage of it and watched it one night. And I was sitting there like fighting off tears. You know, this is a good five years. I mean, well, it's been six years now. Um, but this, this was almost, this is four or five years later. And it was like this thing where I was like, damn, if only I hadn't gone and done that stupid little meaningless panel where I talked about how I sit here and, and write my opinions about movies. <laughs> you know, I, I could have seen this like, life-changing thing like for me like a, a life not life-changing but like a, a a moment in my life I would never forget and then I got to see the video and I was sitting there like almost in tears I was like oh there oh my god there it is and I got to watch it and I I wrote a thing about it somewhere I, I don't know maybe it was just on Facebook or something but um it, it was amazing to me and it was just this really fun moment and um so yeah, so in conclusion, her contributions to this franchise are wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to follow that, Joe. <laughs> Carrie Fisher's great. That's basically what we're getting at. Yes. Not the world <sighs> lost a great one when she passed, for sure. Definitely, yeah. And oh, I can't even give my opinions about the new movies. But <laughs> anyways, the point is she's great. Uh-huh. Hamill's a whiny bitch, but I love him because it sets him up for a really great character arc. Yeah. I think, I mean, my point is, I think he needs to be that way, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that really, really shows a good stark uh, growth. Yeah. And then you have Han Solo. Now, he's an interesting character because mm-hmm. he's not a fucking good guy. Right. That's kind of the whole point. He's a self centered prick. Uh, right. And this is just like a huge part of his character. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay, let me find let me let me find this specific thing here because he, he, well he he is while you're doing that I'll just I'll be like yes I agree yeah he is and that's how he plays in this movie absolutely in the second movie he's about half and half and then it's the third film when he's really kind of more not but here yeah he's definitely yeah and just an I, I'm here for my even I'm I'm here for the money. Yeah. I don't care if Princess Leia lives or dies. Yeah, yeah. Well that so that was the the what you just said is the thing I was looking for, actually. And I, I, I wish I could quote it, but yeah, he basically 
Luke, he's like, I don't care about the princess. Like, I'm here for the money, like you said. And then Luke's like, but she's up for execution. Like, she's going right. to be terminated. And he's like, better her than me. Yeah, it's like a great line, that. first off. Yeah. Yeah. But what a dick. So he, so here's <laughs> part of the controversy. Controversy, And, and I, I subscribe to this controversy, though I do think, I don't think the choice is trivial. But it is kind of a silly thing to have a controversy. Yeah. But one change that was made, because if, if you're not familiar, uh, uh, listeners, uh, these movies have been changed multiple times over yeah. uh, to the point of what's that? I said, what's wrong with you if you don't know? The, you know yeah, the yeah. I mean, uh, to the extent that George Lucas has essentially said, or if not said, heavily implied that the 1977 version no longer exists. Um, so for a film historian like myself, someone who really loves... Uh, to look at those uh, things, we can't see what people saw in theaters in 1977. Yes, that that is that is unacceptable to me. So I automatically have like Lucas is on my shit list. First off, yeah, I'm all about people getting their vision out, and I actually don't even care if there were alternate special edition versions of the Star Wars movies, uh-huh. but fucking always have the original. Like, yeah. Blade Runner did the director's cut a few years after its initial release. Yeah. Okay? And then they even did a one later, a one, I say. They did one later in, like, 2011 or something. I can't remember the exact date. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was the final cut, which is a fantastic cut of Blade Runner. It's my favorite. It's yeah. the one I always go to. Um, the first version of that, if you watch it, because, as again, I like to see what people saw in the theaters at that time. In terms of at least the content, I understand things will be restored. They might look better, you know, things like that. But the first Blade Runner movie has so many problems. And a lot of problems that Harrison Ford actually hated. We're not talking about Blade Runner now, but I'm just making a point here. And there's like a voiceover narration. And if you if you listen, there's a three-hour documentary that came with a five-disc box set of Blade Runner that I have. And uh, in in there, they actually have the, the raw footage, the stems of, of some of this voice work. Yeah. And you hear uh you hear Harrison Ford drop a line in like voiceover narration. And then he just he basically is just like, "Oh my god, this is so stupid." Like <laughs> like you just hear him like he's so <laughs> mad about it because yeah. no one wanted it but the studio. The studio is like, yeah. "No, people basically need their hands held. You need to we need to tell them what's going on." Ridley Scott yeah. didn't want this. Harrison Ford didn't want this. No one wanted The writers didn't want it, but they had to yeah. do this to appease the studio. So, uh, anyways, that was neither here nor there. The point is, uh, back to Han Solo here. You know, he, he's, he's an asshole. He's a bad guy. So the controversy yeah. here is this. Uh, in the scene in the canteen on Tatooine, uh, he, he runs into Greedo which is the uh, weird guy that's going to uh, basically shoot him at the cantina. Yeah, he's a bounty hunter. Yeah, he's yeah. a bounty hunter. And, uh, and uh, Jabba the Hutt, who we have uh, now learned was Declan Mulholland originally. <laughs> uh, you know, he, uh, he's going to... Uh, Jabba the Hutt's put out this huge bounty on Han Solo, and yeah. Greedo's come to kind of cash in. So... To clarify, Han is an excellent example of an anti-hero because he's hanging out with our heroes, but he's a total outlaw, right? So in the original movie, Greedo's talking to him, and Han Solo just shoots him. Just wastes him. Wastes him. 
Greedo yeah. never gets a shot off. He just Blast shoots him, him first. Okay? Yes. And then in the 1981 release, there is a very, like, actually, I think this one was more distant, but Greedo shoots first, which they just added special effects to the scene. Like, yeah. he doesn't actually it shoot. Ridiculous. And then And then Harrison Ford shoots. And what this does is it becomes a self-defense case. Yeah. He shot at Han Solo, so Han Solo shoots him so he can be a hero. Right. The problem is, much like the whiny little bitch of Luke Skywalker, Han Solo's yeah. a bad guy. Right. That's doing it for money. He ends up on the good side on, on a whim. He accepts a yeah. job. Okay? Right. Chewbacca is the neutral, the neutral person here, right? Or like yeah. character. Yeah. But Han Solo's bad. He straight up just murders this guy in a bar. Mm-hmm. So in 1981, of course, they change it. This controversy breaks out, right? And, and people make T-shirts that say Han shot first. Mm-hmm. And they wear them around. I want one of these. Yeah. I might make yeah. one because I work at a screen printing shop, too. And I, I kind of, I might just, like, print my own Han shot first. Might because well. I think this is a fundamental change, though. Because he is a bad guy. And because they because Han Solo the legacy of Han Solo has become that he's this hero, like yeah. every single version's changed, Joe. I don't know if you know this. Like oh, yeah. every the distance between when Greedo shoots and when Han Solo shoots, which yeah. Greedo must have a worse aim than Star than Stormtroopers. He must have formerly been a stormtrooper. He's yeah. the worst shot. How do you miss it's, the guy? It's a point blank shot, and he misses <laughs> like he shoots up into the wall. It's almost like it's almost like they he does it. The only logical explanation is he does it to scare him. Scare him, yeah. Like not, yeah, it's not played like that. It's played like here. I'm I'm just gonna shoot you. Oh no, my hand just missed. You know, my hand just like slipped, and I in my you know my aim is off by two feet when you're literally three feet away from Han me. Han Solo doesn't even juke it, dude. He's just sitting yeah. there. And you know why? Because Greedo didn't even shoot in the first place. Right. So mad yes. about this. So so th- this ties into kind of like a big problem I have with the whole franchise, but especially yeah. the pre or the, uh, no, whoa, the original trilogy. Yeah. Because they've been changed so much now. And there's yeah. so much pointless bullshit. For everybody to understand, there was a, there was a special edition that came out in 1997. And this was when Industrial Light and Magic uh, was about to do the new Star Wars movies. They were heads of the special effects teams, all led by kind of the Skywalker Ranch and and George Lucas's Mm -hmm. companies. So in 1997, they put out these special editions. Now, part of the VHS special editions I saw, which were these, I actually Uh liked certain aspects of them. And I don't even think the 1977 version is probably even the best version. Please don't, I'm not a purist in that way. I wish we had it for the historical value Uh because it was one of, if not the most important franchise to ever kick off. I mean, it changed everything. We are here because Jaws and then Star Wars. Okay? (laughs) Like, that's why we we are here. So... Like, every one of these is different. Go to YouTube, look at the differences between them. It's actually, it's pretty wild, uh, the little changes that they make to all these movies. But watching this, man, it's those stupid details that I find so frustrating. Because now it's like they almost shoot at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like so close. But it's stupid. Because it takes away from Han Solo's 
persona as the outlaw. He's doing this for money. He doesn't really fit in anywhere, so he's always got to be on the road. Um, but yeah. he also has never gotten a handout. He wasn't born with a silver spoon, so he's got to make his way. And sometimes that just means fucking over the wrong people, right? And he just he's just not the smartest tool in the shed or sharpest tool in the shed. Neither am I, right. apparently. But the point is, um, <laughs> Han Solo is great. So I'm going to draw a comparison to another movie just to uh-huh. kind of make my point, And then we can move on. And I'll yeah. give you the floor at least. Sure. So in Harry Potter, okay, mm-hmm. and, and, and Half-Blood Prince, big mm-hmm. shocker, Dumbledore dies. If you haven't seen this, it's your fault. So in the book, okay, same thing happens. Yeah. Harry, Harry's in the room. In the book, Snape, or well, not Snape, but uh, other other bad uh, Death Eaters mm-hmm. are coming in, and they're gonna end Gan or uh, Gandalf. Oh my God, dude, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Dumbledore's life. They're gonna end Dumbledore's life, yeah. and Harry's like, "Yeah, right. I'm gonna fight him." And Dumbledore yeah. paralyzes him, throws the cloak of invisibility over him, so no one can see him. But he can see everything, but he can't move. So in the book, Harry would step in. Harry would, his character would, is the type of person that would make the decision to disobey Dumbledore to save his life and potentially end his own. Yeah. And potentially end both of them. They were outnumbered, but he was going to stand up for the person that he cared about. Yeah. But he can't because Dumbledore paralyzed him. And of course, once Dumbledore is dead, the spell is broken and he starts chasing him. In the movies, Harry Potter is Dumbledore asks him to go, go, Harry. And he goes downstairs and he's watching it from below. He watches Dumbledore die and uses his own Mm self-discipline to stop himself from going to save the day. Yeah, that's a fundamental character shift. Yeah, it's like these things matter to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because and it's not like they ruin the movie. I love those. I love those Harry Potter movies, too. Like. I don't care that it's changed as much. It just, it's frustrating because it's right there for you. You don't have, like, <laughs> like the original content is there. Why are you changing this aspect? You're not yeah. making Harry a little bitch for yeah. not saving him. Like, just paralyze him. Yeah. I don't get it. So Han Solo's the same way to me. Let him mm-hmm. shoot the guy. He's a bad guy. Yeah. Don't try to make him yeah. a good guy before he's a good guy. Like you said, he's a bad guy. And the second one, he's kind of neutral, 50-50. Yeah. And then he's a good guy. And that's how it yeah. works. I don't understand why this is so hard. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it's, um, it, it would be like, it would be, it's kind of akin to, to use, a, let's use a different example, to use a Marvel example. Let's say that they changed Spider-Man to actually watching uncle ben die and making the decision not to stop that yeah like it would be something like that that's excuse me it's a fundamental change in in the story right you know in in spider-man's case he he gets there too late to help his uncle and his uncle dies you know in his arms and that changes you know it's who he is but you know if if say peter had been there and had the ability to stop him and just chose not to that's not who spider-man is that's not who Harry Potter is and that's not who Han Solo is in, in their respective, you know, film. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, yeah. And it's, it's silly. It's done for no reason other than, I don't know, to, 
to make Star Wars slightly more kid friendly. I don't I don't even know. No, that... I th- I think it's because he's so well known. Yeah. Like by that point he's a he's a superstar. They're buying right. his toys. Yeah. They're doing yeah. all this. I mean, he makes the good decision in the end to come back yeah. and help the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and he gets I mean he already got paid like a ridiculous. Yeah. He's putting crates of money in his ship. You yeah. know, like he has plenty of money. Yeah. But he makes the good decision to come help. Right. That should be enough. Yeah. Like like yeah. that should be I mean he's not a good guy yet, but he made at least a good choice that we can mm-hmm. build on in future movies. And I feel yeah. like it's because by 1981 say, you know, uh-huh. because he's already known as this hero, you can't be putting this shit back out in theaters and seeing him be a bad guy again. Right. I think that's yeah. stupid. Yeah, that's it's idiotic. Yeah, and and it's I mean, he's called a scoundrel in every one of the movies repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, why do you keep, why is he the only guy that you call that? Like, I don't get, I mean, he, you know, he's a smuggler for God's sake. That's what he does. And, you know, and, you know, we talk about Jabba the Hutt. The reason why Jabba the Hutt wants him is because he was smuggling something. We don't, some unknown substance or, you know, cargo. He had something that he was smuggling that was contraband in the empire and he got boarded and had to like jettison it, right? He had to dump it in order, you know, to prevent himself from being captured. And and so Java basically, it's basically like if Java was a drug dealer yeah. and Han Solo, you know, is flushed it. is selling, yeah, he's got like a kilo of heroin or something and the cops come. So he has to flush it down the toilet. And Jabba's is like, um, you're paying me for that. That's a, This is essentially the, the scenario, right? Yeah. It's and, cherry. That's stupid yeah. movie. <laughs> Right. Anyways, sorry. Yeah. So yeah. So it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't even make sense, and it's it's so hardly it's so it's shoehorned so hard that it's it just it's to a ridiculous degree, and that's what you know that that special edition that the the mid '90s special edition, uh, you know, is one of those where. You know, there's just so many of those little changes that are just stuffed in there that just don't make sense or that are there just to, I mean, and it, and it worked. This is the Disney version, you know, the Disney Plus version that, that you talked about, yeah. where, you know, there's just random awkward CGI stuff of Jabba the Hutt, and there's awkward stormtroopers riding dewbacks and other kinds of, you know, weird animals just because, and there's new things just yeah. bouncing around, and droids are like, hitting each other in the head and it's just it's just a bunch of changes mostly for the sake of let's throw this back out in the theater but make it feel new so let's just make some changes and i understand also that like at the time i'm sure some of the sets and stuff were a little sparse and they wanted to add some components to make it feel like a lived-in world and again i'm all about that but the problem is this when you have cgi especially early cg i mean i know cgi had been around not quite 10 years before then but i mean like, you know, CGI was becoming a thing and it was like in its like coming of age years, so to speak, really building and growing, especially with indu- in, with uh, Industrial Light and Magic. And, uh, you know, my, my big beef with this is it, is it looks like shit and it looked great then. If you're going to redo it, in my mind, mm-hmm. like if you're going to keep putting out new versions of it, why aren't yes. we just redoing that? Like, at right. least make it look contemporary to now, because it looks bad. Now, they, I think they go in and they color it differently, and they, they try to make it look a little better. But, yeah. dude, like, they're covering up Muppets. 
Now, here's the thing about right. Muppets, okay? We watched, we watched <laughs> Labyrinth a few weeks back. Yeah. If they went in and put CG over that shit, okay? Yeah. It'd be fucking weird. It wouldn't yeah. fit. Mm-hmm. The movie looks, it just has a specific look. Same thing with Star Wars. Yeah. It, the, the, the puppets that they used before, are they going to be realistic? Probably not that realistic, okay? But at least they're going to fit in the fucking world because they were shot in the same <laughs> world and the sh- same lighting. Just let it be from the 70s. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. There's, there's no reason keep, not to. Keep the job of the Hut scene out of the first uh-huh. movie. Yeah. Hey, yeah. let, let, that, let that Declan Maholland. Let Declan yeah. Maholland just live as Jabba for the time. You don't need it. Jabba can be Jabba the Hutt and Return of the Jedi. Cut yeah. that shit. Right. I just yeah. don't know why there's so much CG. And then sometimes they'll have like the real, like physical special effect monsters yeah. and stuff. And they're like, those look so much better to me. And yeah. the cantina. Yeah. There's so many weird, weird creatures in yeah. there, right? And yeah, some of them don't look realistic. I don't give a shit. It's a yeah. fucking different world. I'm in for it, right? I'm good. Or like whenever they're in the trash compactor and there's that yeah. weird creature and it's like stop animation. It like shoots through the yeah. water and it's like moving weird. I don't, I mean, I understand that I like this sort of thing, but it's, it is, it's time. It's what the thing is. Don't add new shit. I'm so upset about it. It's, <laughs> it's very frustrating. I mean, I could really go on about this because yeah. it like, dude, my whole life, Star Wars, all of them, all of the first three, I mean, all three of them were like five-star movies to me. I mean, these were, um, I was a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the prequels. Mm-hmm. I'm hit or miss with the new stuff. I ultimately am not, I wish, I'd rather just not have been made, but I can be entertained by some of the stuff. That's fine. But the first three, man, were like five stars, and they still were on Letterboxd up until I watched this. And then yeah. it's like, I can't watch the Disney Plus version and feel the same way. I it was downgraded, Joe. Mm-hmm. Can you believe this? <laughs> Golly. All right. I want to touch on a couple of things before we go, though, and I want to give you time to touch on anything. If we haven't covered something, I'm going to move on because I'll go on too long sure. about that. Yeah. The point is this: Han Solo is a bad guy. Damn it, and he should be a bad guy. Yeah. All right. So this film has some interesting influences. I. It's really important for me going back to a film history thing to talk about this. Um, of course, Westerns and Flash Gordon serials, as I already mentioned, these are things Lucas has been very outspoken about, but even just watching the movie, if you've ever seen fl- anything Flash Gordon, you can dare- definitely tell that this is kind of a, a space version of those things. Uh, well, I mean, some of those were space things too, but my point yeah. is, it feels different. It's its own thing, Star Wars, but you can tell where it came from. So... Different characters, though, in different genres, different movies in the past heavily influenced Star Wars, though. C-3PO and R2-D2 are basically Tahe and, uh, let me see if I can say this, Matashichi. Matashichi, there we go, uh, from The Hidden Fortress. The Hidden Fortress is an Akira Kurosawa movie from 1958. Um, George Lucas has also just admitted to this, but if you ever watch The Hidden Fortress... Um, which I have. It's one. Of, it's actually one of my least favorite Kurosawa movies because all it is is basically just like it's the Return of the Jedi for Kurosawa. You know what I mean? Like it's just like an action yeah. movie. You know, basically like action yeah. adventure movie. I need to go back and watch it though. Maybe I'll like it more. I mean, I still like it, but it's just not as much as like some of his other bangers. The sure. point is though, uh, there are two characters, Tahe and Matushichi. It's hard to say, uh, but uh, they're like these bumbling this bumbling duo and the whole movie starts with them 
And they carry the whole movie, much like C-3PO and R2-D2. This was like a direct influence. There's also a princess in the Hidden Fortress. Any similarities, I think, are pretty much just coincidence. But uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 definitely from the Hidden Fortress. So if you want to go back to the 50s and watch a cool samurai uh, uh, Kurosawa flick, that's a fun one to check out. If you've never seen a Kurosawa movie, I would start elsewhere. <laughs> but this yeah. is one you can you can watch eventually. Also, uh, samurai cinema in general, uh, like if you watch enough samurai movies, you can start to see uh, certain aspects in this. One of which I'll say uh, that I noticed watching it this time is Darth Vader's helmet uh, looks surprisingly like an altered Shogun helmet. If you want to know what a Shogun helmet is, uh, Google Shogun helmet, and you'll yeah. see what I mean. They don't look the exact same, but you can the shape oh, yeah, and the way absolutely. the ways it it, it goes. It's uh. Like Darth Vader, I mean, of course, they all fight with swords, which are lightsabers. Um, sure. But Darth Vader is definitely a shogun. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Joe, another movie I might make you watch, brother, if you haven't seen this. And I'm sorry, because it's like a two and a half hour silent movie. But this might be <laughs> one of our fa- one of my favorites. It's be worse than Army of the Dead. So. <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't seen that yet. God damn it. Oh, my God. Don't. Oh, I'm going to. It's my job now. Thanks all to right, you. Anyways, Metropolis. The 19, uh, I believe, 28 movie. And that, fuck, I don't even have this up. I'm an amateur today. I, I've seen Metropolis. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. 1927, my bad. That's why I was second guessing it. So Metropolis is a, a silent film for Fritz Lang. Fritz Lang is like just the best. I love yeah. this guy. He made a movie in 1931 called M. Yeah. The movie follows a child molester and murderer in 1931. Yeah. It's a German film, but still yeah. absolutely wild. Um, and then, you know, of course, he did Metropolis a few years prior to that. Uh, went on to do, he moved to America to avoid like the Nazi shit and um, a Nazi party. You know, they, they wanted him to be involved in things. He bails. I don't know if that's the only, I think he just bailed because he didn't want to be around it. But, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure, again, don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure Fritz Lang, though, was kind of uh, being kind of targeted to do some propaganda. He didn't do it. So he left, comes to America, makes tons of great film noir, which I'm going to talk about here soon uh, in kind of a solo segment before our long-form talks. Really great. Anyways, point is, Metropolis, if you go to YouTube, look up the opening sequence in Metropolis. This movie is, uh, you can find a lot of comparisons, actually, in Metropolis. There's a lot of, I mean, C-3PO, there's a robot in Metropolis. That sequence is incredible. When the scientist makes the robot turn into a person like a human. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an Android basically, but, but if you look at the original co- concept art of C3PO, it's almost identical to, to this yeah. robot. So C3PO's look was influenced by Metropolis, but <clears throat> the whole entire thing of Metropolis, I'm choking. Hold on. I almost died. I'm okay. So <laughs> the whole look of Metropolis, it, it was all uh, shot in miniatures. And it was all shot, uh, you know, with all these like really like there are helicopters flying and shit for being like over 100 years old or no, it's not quite yet. It's 90 years old, over 90 years old. Crazy how good this shit looks. Blows my mind, actually. It's actually like some of the stuff. I still don't even know how they did it. Yeah. Amazing. The transformation sequence of the robot where there's all these weird like magical rings and stuff shooting around them. I have no idea how they did that. I mean, I can I can think about it, but it just looks too good. I'm, I'm surprised. Anyways, so the future city, though, is iconic, and it influenced, like, every sci-fi movie. And the way they shot everything 
I mean, a lot of it is stop animation stuff, you know. I mean, in that one, I think they actually just had, like, little models being pulled across on, like, strings. But it looks really good. The point is, though, uh, the way that they did that, the way that they created uh, the future city in Metropolis was heavily influential on... Uh, on Lucas, and he used a lot of that, as well as 2001 A Space Odyssey, of course, came out uh, uh, nine years prior, and um, I still think, personally, it looks better, but it also had bigger budget, and Stanley Kubrick, so I'm going to be biased, uh, but, like, if if you look at side-by-side shots, there are YouTube videos you can watch of this, too, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's impossible for Star Wars to have not been inspired, you can see exact shots where Lucas yeah. was kind of borrowing from 2001, so... That's great. There's also uh, uh, a scene I want to talk about, and I'm going to pass it to you, Joe. Uh, the scene where Obi-Wan Kenobi is walking to turn the tractor beams off, and he walks over this kind of cavernous space, and he walks around, and he just is pulling these uh, yeah. levers Whoa. to like let them go. And uh, if you look at how this scene was made, uh, going back to like the Metropolis thing, and uh, honestly, it's like a lot of silent movies. To be honest, I mean, this this technique has been used since the silent era. Is what I'm saying. Uh, but a lot of these movies would uh, have glass painting effects, where they would actually paint glass and then mm-hmm. shape it around the actual film that's moving and being projected, so that the live action stuff is where it's cut out in the glass, and then they have an artist paint on the glass. Yeah. And that's just like an overlay. It's like what we do in Photoshop now or something. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, but that that's how they did that Obi-Wan. I mean, he's like 10 feet in the air or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it looks like he's like infinite space beneath him. Yeah, hundreds of um, feet. Yeah, but that's like all over, man. Like they do awesome shit like that through the whole movie. Another reason why I love like the original movies like this, because though I do think like certain things were enhanced with CG in the later movies, you know, like... Little, just little things like you see ships flying in like the portholes and stuff. Yeah. Like those things can be really immersive and, and and help with like world building and showing that this this place is alive, right? And those things yeah. I'm super down with. Enhanced that way, we're good to go. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it. That's all I got. Also, I feel like people don't remember Vader's not the big bad. Right. He's, he's like yeah. on a leash the whole movie. Yeah, he's got a boss. That, that's even a line. Yeah, yeah. Princess Leia even says that. I. Um, I knew you to, to Grand Moff Tarkin, played by Peter Cushing. Yep. So yeah, another kind of a big, although he was a genre actor mostly, I think. Yeah. By that time, he was a name. Done, yeah, but he was a, he was certainly a name actor. But um, yeah, yeah, she even says, "Yeah, you're the one holding Vader's leash." Yeah, he's he's at best second in command, it, which is which is jarring again in the continuity because he was supposed to be the Emperor's right hand man. Yeah. And there's there's not even I don't even know if they even mention the emperor in this film. They don't. And and quite frankly, I think it's just cuz they didn't know better. But also right. you could look at it as like um the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yes. I almost look at it like that, right? Where like the emperor's yes. just like way in the back like I'm yeah. controlling everything and Vader's kind of my right hand. Yeah. I'm going to give them the illusion of power. Yeah. But come the next movie, I'm going to come out of my yeah. skin. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. Tarkin is kind of the yeah Tarkin's kind of the figurehead maybe, yeah that that doesn't really have any power or something that you know but yeah it's you know there's but you know there's some cool stuff that Darth Vader does in this movie you know obviously the you know the the force choke the force choke by the way 
has the greatest sort of subversive meme to it <laughs> that I don't know if you've ever seen this one, seen this before. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, everyone knows that scene where, you know, the the dude, the underling, the executive, I guess, yeah. whatever, whatever you want to call them, they're in that in that room having that meeting. And and the, and Darth Vader is just like, you know, stomping around being Darth Vader. And and this guy tries to, you know, throw his weight around. And he's like, you're not you don't scare us with your old religion and your magic. And then, you know, he just starts force choking the dude right there. And and the, there's a meme where, you know, they they replay this scene and he starts to choke him. And 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 the guy says, harder, daddy. <laughs> Darth Vader <laughs> stops and goes, what? And then he stops. And he's like, what? <laughs> uh, that's that just weird. cracks me up so much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, but that, that, you know, that's a great iconic scene. Um, go go find that meme. It, it, you know, if if you're into such things, it it I always find it hilarious every time I see, like I'll I see it and I just kind of uncontrollably laugh every time I see it. So another thing with Darth Vader, uh, Joe, uh, I love how I was about to close and then I just remembered all this Darth Vader stuff. Do you um, did you ever see the original guy and like see the scenes of the original dude David Prowse uh, acting as Darth Vader? I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I have seen that. I also have spent an afternoon with David Prowse. Oh my God! Here goes another yeah. story, Joe. Go yeah, for there's it. There's another. Yeah. So so there's a guy who lives in um, in Indianapolis. Who uh, there's a couple people who kind of make movies, and and this guy's name is Gary Wood, and he's um, I you know I've known him for a long time, but when I was working for for Intake Magazine, I was doing their movie reviews. He got a hold of me and he invited me to the set of this movie he was doing, which was here in town. And he got David Prowse to, and Cindy Morgan of Tron and uh, Caddyshack fame. So <laughs> I hung out with the both of them for a, an afternoon. And um, But David Prowse especially, I hung out with him, sat and talked to him. I have a, a semi like X-rated story that I don't think I'm going to tell here, but it's I, I'll tell you at a different time, but, um, but he, yeah, send I all mean, of your hate mail uh, for Joe, not telling the story to yeah, at yeah, Joe Shearer nine on Twitter. <laughs> um, make sure that you send him some hate tweets, but continue Joe. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah. I, I think I got to keep that one to myself. I might tell some, a select few people individually, um, but, um, but no, he, he, it was, um, the, the this guy Gary's uh, it was his birthday he was filming this movie and it was like a it was basically a volleyball scene he was playing himself David Prowse was playing himself but um, I mean I literally just sat there we sat there in this uh, this uh, um, like a like a like a public park shelter and just hung out and he you know they filmed their scenes and and we just I just had the chance to sit and talk to him a little bit he he also is he also trained Christopher Reeve to be Superman like to, like he helped him train huh. like to become, you know, to build his physique and things, which I learned later, which I was like, that's awesome. He's Darth Vader. And he's like Superman's real dad. Kind it's of. also and funny that like Prowse is like a tall kind of thin guy. Yeah. Like yeah. if you ever, like, I don't think yeah. of him as like a muscly guy. I mean, he's he fit, I'm sure. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's very funny because like when you see him, like if, 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 again, I'm sure this is on YouTube, a lot of this. So if, if you have, and I might even plug some of these in here, who knows? But it's really funny because whenever when you got to hear how Darth Vader talks. And action! 
start tearing this ship apart piece by piece until you've found those tapes. Find the passengers of this vessel. I want them alive! I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic... You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. But also, he's not very scary. You know, like, yeah. he, he's just, like, yelling like that. It's like, wow. Oh. And so, like, whenever they hear it, Lucas is like, wow, we have to, we have to put a different voice over this guy. <laughs> we got to do something about this. So they find, they find uh, James Earl Jones. A lot of people, I feel like a lot of people actually still don't know James Earl Jones is not in the suit. He is not in yeah. the suit. That no, is, that uh, that's David Prowse. Um, but they had to dub over because he sounded lame. Yeah. It's very, very funny if you watch that. I actually like laugh out loud watching them sometimes because he's just like, you will listen to me. And it's just like, that's, yeah. not, a, that's not a scary voice. But yeah. then you get James Earl Jones in there. He's mm -hmm. great. Um. Yeah, so that's my that's the that's the David Prowse thing. I, yeah, what a, yeah. what a funny he, guy. Yeah, yeah, and he was really in later years. He was really upset with um, the fact that like when the prequels came out, that George Lucas didn't choose to to bring him to continue to be Darth Vader. I actually have, um, and while I'm you know sorry, I'll, I'll bounce back to my my uh, name dropping, humble bragging, whatever you want to call that. I, I, I he actually signed my. <laughs> Um, my Empire Strikes Back DVD, which I brought that day for him to sign, so I, I, I still have that. Uh, but he, um, but yeah, he was he was upset about he he kind of felt like he wasn't treated properly by by Star Wars as a property, and I guess George Lucas maybe in, in particular that he was cut out of the the prequels and that he wasn't really um, he felt like he was kind of cast out of the family, so to speak, and you know didn't you know, wasn't welcome so much, but of course he was a fixture, I think in like the convention circuit and all that stuff. But yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he was, he was pretty upset about it. He just, he, he passed away fairly recently yeah. within the last, I don't know, five years or so. I think I feel like that's, I feel like a lot of people like Jason Voorhees, the guy that played the first Jason, he wasn't yeah. the same guy in all those movies. They had like bodybuilders oh, no, being guys yeah. later or whatever. He had and, wildly different physiques through the movies. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And same with, like, uh, I'm sure that there were different Michael Myers. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and Leatherfaces. Yeah. You know what uh -huh. I mean? And yeah. so it's like, you know, I, I, of course, you know, the dude that played Leatherface, I know he went to a lot of conventions and stuff as well. But sure. it's like no one thinks of these people. Mm -hmm. right. And I, I could see him so easily being cast out, yeah. uh, especially someone like him where they want you to have the illusion of James Earl Jones as being Darth Vader. That's the synonymous name and voice. And instead, it's like this poor dude that landed a killer gig and yeah. it ends up being in one of the biggest franchises of all time and is just left forgotten. Yeah. David Prowse. Boom. Mm -hmm. Everybody should know. He, he passed away November 2020, so it was just last fall. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah late last fall. Yeah. Well, shit. He's 85. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, was, a, he was a bodybuilder um, in, in his prime, um, you know, which, which is probably why he did the, the Superman stuff. But yeah. um, yeah, he, yeah, when he was, you know, obviously, you know, this was when I spent that afternoon with him was 15 years ago, probably is like maybe around 2004, 2005, 2006, you know, so he was obviously was, was an older gentleman by then, but very nice, very big. Um, 
it was even then it was kind of intimidating to be around him but you know he was obviously like he didn't have a physique at that time he was just a, sure. a large man um but he was also in a clockwork orange as well which i guess yeah which i i had forgotten about i just sorry i have his, his bio pulled up so no it's fine yeah i mean what's and and just just to kind of just quickly touch on some of these people it's funny that you know with with uh, David Prowse, they they kind of ousted him a bit. Yeah, but you have people like Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and Peter Mayhew, all of mm-hmm. which could have been replaced. Sure, I don't know, like the same way. Yeah, you know what uh-huh. I mean. Um, yeah. But they kept those dudes around until they died. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I think with I think with Peter Mayhew in the the new films, someone else largely played yeah. him, but they even yeah. they snuck something in where he had. Like I Correct. can't remember because he couldn't physically do it by that point. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But but he, they still did something with him, which was kind of yeah, which is kind of interesting. I was gonna make that co- correction, but yeah, uh, yeah. I know that he didn't actually. He wasn't in the suit. But yeah, yeah. I, I do. Th- I think he was in it though. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, yeah. They they did something for him to to keep him involved. Either way, they didn't David Prowse him. That's what they didn't right. do. Yeah. They they didn't just pr- push him out. Lucas, I'm telling you, and then Disney. Why did Disney continue the bad practices of George Lucas? That's what I want to know. Now I want to I want to take a, I want to take a very short amount of time because we're we're running we're we're going to run out of time here. Yeah. How do you feel moving on? Because this, this I don't want to talk about the original trilogy. One day, you know, we'll have an episode fall on the Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe it'd be a better year. Maybe it'd be a forty fifth anniversary. Who knows? <laughs> and. Uh, and we'll talk about we'll definitely talk about the original trilogy at some point. Yeah, yeah. I don't really care to ever talk about any of the other movies, mm-hmm. but I do want to take some time. And we probably will the other time. I mean, I will talk about them, but I'm not going to be the one to <laughs> instigate that conversation. <laughs> uh, I just want to get general thoughts on you know, uh, a new hope sets off this franchise that's the biggest shit ever. Yeah, kicks off just one of the the great. If we're looking, I mean, it's regardless of whether I think they're sci-fi movies or not, they are in the sci-fi genre. Whenever you're sure. looking them up, so calling them sci-fi movies, I consider them fantasy movies, but whatever. So, in sci-fi, Empire Strikes Back, just one of the great sci-fi movies. Period. Yeah, uh, love it. And then, of course, Return of the Jedi, just really kicking ass, completing that story for the most part, leaving room for more. And then you have the prequels that come out ten year or like in the next decade, the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these are just the worst. Yeah. I think these might be some of the worst films I've ever seen. And let me tell you, let me tell you why I feel that way. Because there are worse movies. Yeah. But it's because of the level in which they could easily be. Yeah. Difference between that and the level that they are, with the right. budget, the people behind them. Now the legacy that they're following, it's a bigger disappointment than like almost any other movie I've ever seen. But let me tell you this, though, and I, I, I will give it credit here. He still has creative worlds, mm-hmm. more creative than most places, you know, yeah. or most movies. I mean, he still has the ideas there. Yeah, they're just executed in such a terrible way, in my opinion. Your thoughts yeah. on the prequels, just briefly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, no, I mean I agree that they are they are garbage for the most part. 
they're they're probably you know I wouldn't say they're the worst movies I've ever seen, but they're probably the worst movies I've seen multiple times. You know because, <laughs> because I've watched I still watch them so many times, but I watch them. I don't want to say I fully hate watch them, but I I almost it's it's about seventy percent hate watching. There's I watch them. I, I feel like what's worthwhile in those movies are the lightsaber battles in the first two, and then in the third one which people people always go, oh, well, that one's good. Revenge of the Sith is good. And I go, no, it's not. It's not any better than the other two. I mean, maybe it's super superficially better than Attack of the Clones, but that, that lightsaber battle at the end between the two of them, that's probably, which is like the most hyped up lightsaber battle of anything is so cold and dry and it's funny you that just, you say that because they're literally surrounded by lava. Right. Yeah. For as hot but as it is, it's seats. still cold. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no for for it being supposed best friends who, you know, through the entire trilogy of films, pretty much just kind of spend the whole thing arguing with each other and hating each other or have Hayden Christensen's Anakin kind of sarcastically talking about how great of friends they are. Like, there's no reason for them to be friends. They hate each other. But they're like, oh, you're my best friend. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, all you guys do is bitch at each other. All you do is hate each other. And we're supposed to think you're friends, like your coworkers who hate each other at best. Yeah. That are stuck working together. <laughs> I, I have never seen... And again, I need to clarify. In all seriousness, though, there are worse movies out than these. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah, sure. like, oh, like sure. when I say they're the worst movies I've ever seen, it really is more of like I, I can't think of many disappointments that were bigger than those. Even oh, no, before absolutely. I got into film, these yeah, were already. Yeah. I mean, full transparency. Whenever the special editions came out and those movies came out, uh, I was a bit of a fan. But as soon as I started getting into movies, yeah, and then I rewatched them finally sometime in the early to mid two thousands. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck are these? Yeah, so anyways, yeah. I, just to clarify. But also, uh, I still stand by, there are good ideas here. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I, again, taking uh, execution out of it and all that, I still think that Lucas has some good ideas and, and a lot better ideas than, than, than most. But man, it's like, it's all about industrial light and magic. How many scenes can we put to highlight ILM as like the, the lead kind of premier special effects I mean, yeah. dude, it's pointless special effects sequences. Oh, yeah. So painful oh, yeah. to watch. Yeah. And then, uh, the, I mean, how do you make certain people like Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, mm -hmm. uh, Hayden Christensen, which if you haven't seen some of his indie work prior to that, oh, he's actually man, really good. Glass. Yeah. Shattered Glass is an incredible. How, how, do you make, how do you make these people terrible? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're really bad in those movies. They're, they're terrible, yeah. And they're good actors, and they're Really terrible. great. Yeah. It, it's like it's like he he watched the dailies and is like I'm gonna take the worst takes like the worst non like the worst takes where they don't just like flub a line the I'm, that's the that's the one I'm using it's it's almost like that in every scene yeah and it's it's so bad um, what was I I was just gonna say something else about it too and I I, <laughs> I forgot <laughs> um, there. Well, oh, if you if you watch if if you want to get a good sense of like the mindset, I would say watch particularly the the Phantom Menace. Watch the DVD commentary, or slash the Blu-ray commentary, I guess depending on what you have. Uh, George Lucas spends the entire film talking about the special effects, 
and and you can hear him and he actually even says at times things like oh i had to rewrite this so that i could fit in this bit of special effects heavy piece you know and he's like oh yeah yeah because i had to i had to be able to fit in this pod race thing so i had to rewrite some dialogue to justify why this special effects heavy pod race could be in here and it it just feels so artificial yeah. the whole thing just felt artificial to me it feels like it's almost like if the 6 year old me watched the star wars trilogy and then 20th century fox came to me george lucas came to me and said i want you to write and direct these three prequels you know and like 6 year old me wrote them and created them you know because that movie would suck those movies would suck and that's what all of the character you know it's like someone who had never it felt like someone who had never made a movie before who maybe watched a couple but had never made one for sure was now being asked to make a movie and the character it's the characterizations are terrible there's the moment where jar jar binks you know when anakin literally says to him hey watch out for that laser thing right there in front of you because if you hit it your face is going to go numb and you're not going to be able to talk and then he immediately sticks his face in it <laughs> it's yeah. like it, it's like that whole moment is just set up for that scene to be funny and then literally it goes away two two minutes later and you never remember it again it's just there to be a cheap laugh and it's and it's ridiculous and it's dumb and the whole movie is like that and I feel like a lot of new blockbusters make the same problems, yeah. but this, but like these prequels are like the exaggerated vert. Like I would, yes. sh if anybody ever wanted to see what I hate about modern day blockbusters, watch those. And yeah. those are just like exaggerated up to 11 as spinal tap would, yes. would turn it to like, mm -hmm. you know, they turn it to 11 in these and people bitch about Jar Jar Binks. He yeah. doesn't even stand out to me because everyone's so terrible. Yeah. Like he's yeah. just another terrible thing. Right. Whereas yeah. people like, I just couldn't believe people complain so much about him. Like, are you watching the movie? Natalie Portman is awful. <laughs> and she, I love her in other stuff. Like, I think she's a yeah. great actress, but man, huh. it's dude that I think those, that whole series is rough. And just to give some people some yeah. context, mm -hmm. George Lucas founded industrial light and magic in 1975. Okay. So he'd had it forever. And they, you know, of course they did star Wars stuff and he was really building it. And and you have to think about this too. George Lucas didn't really direct much, you know, mm -hmm. after Star Wars. So it was right. like, you know, his big thing was like, all right, I'm going to build this this kind of legacy with this Star Wars franchise, and I'm going to build this company that I can kind of work with because he loves special effects. And sure. in the '90s, once CG got really popular and stuff, Industrial Light and Magic was still doing Star Wars style shit. Yeah. So whenever uh -huh. that gets in, they kind of recalibrate the entire company, and they're like, we're going to be the leading CGI folks. Mm -hmm. And then they literally did the original trilogy uh, in 1997. They released those special editions. I mean, it's widely known now to show off their special effects. And unfortunately, right. that's literally the only versions of those we see now. Mm -hmm. I'm so mad at Lucas. I, like, he is just on my yeah. shit list so hard. And so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you got that, and then the prequels, dude. And then just, just to just kind of conclude the Star Wars talk, I want to give you a chance. If we haven't covered something, I want to give you a chance to talk about it, but I want to start with this. Um, the, the, the newest trilogy, from The Force Awakens to The Rise of Skywalker, uh, 
yeah, I mean, how, how do you feel about these new inceptions now, 20 years later almost, again, yeah. your thoughts on those? Yeah, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed The Force Awakens. Um, again, it wasn't, I, I look at them as, I, I don't even know how to look at them. <laughs> the, the, the stories feel different to me somehow. I enjoyed them. I enjoyed especially the first two. Um, I, I was achingly ambivalent about the rise of Skywalker. It, it, I felt really bad at how much I didn't care about that movie watching it. Yeah. Just because I, I did enjoy the last Jedi. I, I like that. They, you know, that's the controversial one that people are just like, like everyone hated because, you know, like, or there's a large contingent that hate it. And, because of the stuff, the way they did stuff and how they, you know, there, there was a lot of like fan trolling, which I get, it's like, okay, you, you know, but it cracked me up. And I thought, you know, I thought there were things that were really good in that movie, but the last one, they're just like, oh, we're going to undo all of that. And we're going to just, you know, we're going to just do these things. Um, and, oh, we're going to bring the emperor back. And it, you know, the emperor was just out of nowhere. And I was just like, I just don't care about any of this. None of this, none of the lightsaber battles, you know, made me feel anything. All the rest of them, I felt anytime a lightsaber pops out, you, you, there's emotion there of some sort. There should be. Yeah, and, there should be. And, and with the except, I was gonna say with the exception of Revenge of the Sith and that one, I, I still felt that way. Even when it was overly, completely, terribly choreographed in the, the prequels. Um, I still kind of felt that way to a degree. There was some kind of emotion or, you know, there was a, a sense of nervousness to it, except in those two films Yeah, where it was just like, eh, I, okay, this is just lights flashing and I don't care because I know that they're not going to, I know one of them's not going to be stabbed or cut in half. Yep. And I know the point where Darth Vader is going to get his arms and legs chopped off. I know that part when it's going to happen. So you got to do something else to make to put some tension in there, and there was none. Um, so yeah, uh, that that's why I didn't care about that. So overall, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'd say I'm a mixed bag. Yeah, um, you know. And yeah, I you know I I. Uh, so <clears throat> my favorite of the three, which is very shocking to me, uh-huh. is is uh, the Force Awakens, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, J.J. Abrams like mimics on the most shallow level, the Mm -hmm. original films, you get the sounds, you get the looks, you get the swipes for the transitions. Yeah. So on with that, at the very least, it's entertaining to some level of nostalgia, right? They're not used with any kind of weight. They're like, it's all just shallow rehash so that you feel nostalgia. That's fine. Yeah. But but on that level though I, I I can enjoy it. Plus I love a lot of the cast, like a lot of as actors I mean, like the actors they have in it, whether I love them in those movies or not, are yeah. really really great. Oscar Isaac being one. Uh-huh. So uh, so yeah, you, you have that. Um, also uh, Adam Driver. A lot of people really hate Kylo Ren, uh-huh. and let me tell you why I like Kylo Ren. Though by the end of Rise of Skywalker, I don't think they did Kylo Ren justice. I like Kylo Ren the same reason I like Luke Skywalker in the first movie, and I like Han Solo in the first, because he's a whiny little bitch, 
Yeah. And then by the end, he should be badass, right? Or he have should at least have some character transformation. And he does. <coughs> I just choked again. Sorry. And he does have that transformation, kind of. Uh-huh. But not to the extent that I would prefer. Here, yeah, here's, not, yeah, not fully. Yeah, yeah here, here's my problem with the, the three mostly. They become contemporary action movies. That's it. Whenever you have lightsaber battles, you hit the nail on the head. You and I like yeah. wrestling. We've talked about this many times. Mm-hmm. Wrestling is supposed to be storytelling. There's a story going on in the ring. Yeah. And it's all nonverbal. We're watching it unfold as it happens. That's part of what makes those wrestling matches so great. They lead up with some sort of a story, but they also tell that story in the ring. They conclude that story by the end of the bell, or they continue that story, whatever it is. Right. But there's a story being told, and that's what makes those matches so great. You can watch another match that's all spectacle, right? And it can be fantastic to watch. And you can just watch it and go, oh, shit, did you see that 630 like spin (laughs) when he landed on that guy, like all this crazy stuff, you know, uh, you know, to pay suicidas and all this stuff. Yeah. But those matches are never going to carry the weight of like Bret Hart versus Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Or or something like that, where it's like, there's a lot of weight to this. Mm -hmm. And the story being told is actually pretty masterful. And the lightsaber battles are kind of like wrestling matches. A lot of the lightsaber ones, and like you said, even sometimes, uh, like the Phantom Menace, which is the only reason Darth Maul's famous, because he does that that wild, because uh, he has like a red face and horns, looks like a new metal guitarist, but right. also because he does flips and, and fights people. Sure. Uh, cool. So like on, on that level, like I understand that too. Um, and, and, and I think that there is like that, I think that fight carries some weight too, because not only do you have, uh, like a young Obi-Wan, but I'm spacing the name of, uh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I I knew the Jin part, but I couldn't remember the beginning. So, uh, yeah. And that whole thing, like it tells a story, there's a story kind of unfolding Mm -hmm. during this lightsaber battle. Right. And I think that's like a real key. And unfortunately, the only, there's like one time I felt that kind of, and so you mentioned Rise of Skywalker being it, but I feel this way about all of them in the new ones, except yeah. when the first Kylo Ren Ray battle, yeah. where you first, where you kind of see his like Excalibur sword lightsaber, basically yes. they fight in those yeah. woods. She uh-huh. finally realizes there's more to her than she knew. Yeah, uh, I, I actually really like that that fight, um, and, and I think it could have been better. But it's like mm-hmm. that. At least it was kind of going in that vein of like you know how to mm-hmm. you know how to kind of program a a lightsaber battle. Yeah. But other than that, dude, all the things that George Lucas had his hand in, you know, mm-hmm. creating these interesting like lived-in worlds and these creatures and and all all of those things that we've talked about up to now, they just they they're non-existent in these new ones, and it's just it's like pastiche, basically. They yeah. just like kind of take these things and just use them uh just so that you can hear like a tie fighter go like that noise Uh um but other than that it's like what's the like what's fucking happening i don't know i'm I'm just i'm just a big (laughs) hater and i love these original ones and and for Uh for some of their shortcomings and again looking at it historically they're kind of impeccable but when you look at them now, you can see their era and you can see some of their shortcomings. 
But I just feel like they, they have so much more actually to offer in terms of substance. Like they're really building something. And like we talked about character arcs, like these people change. And and although Leia is pretty consistent through all of them, you do have that like Han Solo Leia story arc that really builds. And Darth Vader's story arc building with Luke and also just individually with the Emperor. And I mean, dude, there's just there's like a lot of shit going on with these characters yeah. and like just I don't feel any of that in the new ones and it bums me out because I, I am a Star Wars fan despite the fact much like the MCU of being such a critic it bums me out because I love these franchises yeah anyways any final remarks Joe yeah no yeah that's it that I'm glad I'm glad you brought those up you know we I mean we could go on about these all day long and you know have five podcasts about Star Wars <laughs> but um you know it's I I love it you know, I, I even I'm into, uh, you know, I am into the, the Mandalorian and, yeah. you know, these, I love how they're doing, why, why haven't we been doing this all along? You know, that, I guess they tried to do that hold in on. the 80s with like the Ewoks, but. Yeah, hold on. I got to say, you just reminded me of something. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but I have to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, no. The Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh-huh. I like this show. Okay. Yeah. It's a fucking Western. All right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, let, let me tell you this. The original trilogy is also a fucking space western, okay? Yeah. If sure. anybody watches old westerns, you understand that westerns kind of have their own story arc, their own archetypes. That's why it's mm-hmm. like a genre. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. You don't have to actually be in the west for someone to say like, "Man, this feels like a western" because there's like a style to it. Um yeah. one of my, one of the perfect examples is there's a George Clooney movie called uh, The American. Yeah. Uh, directed by Anton Corbian. I love love that movie so much. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking Western, that movie. Yeah. Is, is there anything Western in it at all? There's not a cowboy in sight. It's about an assassin, uh, a sniper guy. Yeah. But man, it's a Western if I've ever seen one. I mean, you could easily yeah. transport that to 1860 or whatever, and it's a Western. Done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, for the Mandalorian, listen to the, just listen to the theme song. It's It sounds... It, you could just plug that into... Any Western, you know, and it fits in perfectly. That's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and yeah, we didn't even get into John Williams. I don't even need to get that yeah. guy's a storyteller just with music. Absolutely. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I'll just, all I'm going to say about John Williams is wow, with the original trilogy. That, that's like an incredibly impressive score because it, it, it paints the picture of every character every time they're on the screen. It's great. Yeah. Um, but, anyways, uh, yeah, Mandalorian. The, the reason it works for me, this was this was a note that I, I don't think I ended up putting on this batch of notes. I think it's just in my phone. But The Mandalorian, the reason it works for me is it, it harkens back to that type of storytelling that the originals had. Of course it's different. Of course it's its own thing. We have a different character here. But it, it's back to that kind of like, this is a Western. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I, I, I just, I really... Love that. I don't know. Again, you could take the Mandalorian and put it back, set it in 1860 Earth, and it could just be a Western. You know, he has to, he's transporting this baby somewhere. Yes. It doesn't have to be Yoda. It's not Yoda, but you know what I mean. It doesn't have to be one of those creatures. Anyways, I interrupted you. I apologize. You said the Mandalorian, no, no, you reminded okay. me that I had a note and I had to interrupt you. Uh, continue. <laughs> Final thoughts. No, yeah. I, I, I love that crop of new shows. Um, and, and, you know, I love. You know, I love that they keep making stuff, even if it's, you know, it's diminishing returns, but I love that, you know, it's still out there and it's still a thing and it's still relevant and people love it. And we can, you know, we can go back and be the crotchety old man. This is our, our generation's crotchety old man of, oh, the original pre, you know, trilogy is better than the new ones. And, you know, I, you know, I, 
I love that. I love that Star Wars is still a thing. And I, I know I, I think there's a good future for it, even if they're not. I mean, I've, there's been talk about new movies and they're doing a lot of the, you know, they're doing a lot of kind of filling in the gaps, which is all, it's all great. And I love, you know, I, I enjoy that. I hope they continue doing it. Hope they hope they do it well, though, you know. Yeah. Um, on on and, that note, real quick. Yeah, yeah. I'll just interrupt you for a second time. No, yeah. No, probably, I'm, I'm done. Probably <laughs> far more over the episode. <laughs> Tell me why this is so hard, Joe. I got so excited when they were going to be doing movies in between mm-hmm. the main series, yeah. right? So you had yeah. Rogue One, which I did not like, mm-hmm. and then you had, which was a big hit. So I'm, I'm, sure. I am definitely a minority here. I feel like uh-huh. did not like it. Did seem completely pointless to me. Mm-hmm. And then Han Solo, or Solo rather, which I actually didn't dislike as much as I thought I would. There are actually sure. parts of it that I actually really liked, but yeah. still not a huge fan. Why are we not just doing... Comp- Why do they have to tie in? This right. pisses me off. You have a mm-hmm. fucking entire world that you've built, yeah. an entire universe. There is mm-hmm. a galactic, like, leader or what? Like, then what's the other galaxies? Like, you know, like, like why, are, why aren't we following some, like, Boba Fett style? Not Boba Fett, right. but just some, like, bounty hunter. Give me just a fucking right. bounty hunter movie. It starts with yeah. this dude getting a contract and he has to go to this planet and get this guy, but it just turns into this long, you know, thing. Dude, give give it a Joker type type reboot where yeah. it's just a dark fucking movie. You know what I mean? Like I understand sure. that like it's 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 a capitalist thing, right? Like widest audience, we're talking about a franchise that's huge. You want kids and everyone to be able to see it. But mm-hmm. You have hundreds of billions of dollars, Disney. Just make a movie that fucking matters to me. It's yeah. really upsetting to me because you have so many things, and yet we have to watch, like, we have to watch Rogue One where the rebellion isn't as good as we thought they were. They right. have some problems. I get that yeah. in the first one. I don't feel like they're good guys. I don't need to see this. <laughs> That's my yeah. opinion. But the point is, Solo, I don't give huh? a fuck who Han Solo was, was a, as a kid. I don't need to see him meet Chewbacca or yeah. whatever. I'm just yeah. I'm just bitter about it. I, I don't like this. <laughs> Show me something cool with all yeah. these other cool things going on in the world. Why are mm-hmm. we still focused on the Skywalker story arc? Right. Yeah. So frustrated. Sorry, I just went <laughs> off again, Joe. No, that's all right. No, that's okay. I mean, I have very strong and, feelings about this. And I think that could be a whole different podcast. <laughs> Maybe it will be, Joe. Yeah. All right. I feel irritable about this. <laughs> All right. All right. I've already said this, but any final thoughts? Are you good yeah, to go? No, yeah. Let's let's get out of here. We're okay. beating this horse to death. We've yeah. already beat it to death, and we're going to beat it a little longer. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> but anyways, this, is, uh, this has been a long conversation about Star Wars. I hope uh-huh. you enjoyed it. I'm upset about it. Uh-huh. Fuck George Lucas. <laughs> Star Wars A New Hope Rules. Watch it on uh, Disney Plus. Be upset with me. But you know what? If you disagree, or if you agree, uh, feel free to hit us up on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Medium Cool Pod. Or you can hit me up at Austin Glidden on Twitter or Joe at Joe Shearer 9 on Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can tell us why we're right or why we're wrong or give us your opinions, your neutral opinions about that, however you feel. Uh, Joe, do you have a zinger you want to leave us on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was hoping I could work like I know him, but I, I don't know. Hell, I don't know. 
All right, everybody, that was our show. We really appreciate you listening. Uh, Hopefully you'll be able to check out some early Bergman. Uh, Again, you can find a lot of this stuff now thanks to Criterion, um, you know, kind of getting it out there and making it popular again. Uh, hopefully more popular than I think. Uh, but yeah, you can you can you should be able to find Crisis out and about. I had the Bergman box set, so that's how I saw it. If you've been questioning about buying the Criterion uh, box set, because it is pretty expensive, it's over $200 normally. And so uh, if you've been thinking about getting the Bergman box set, I can't stress enough, if you're a Bergman fan, get this thing. It is awesome. It is so awesome. I've put every single disc in just to see the restoration and kind of get a feel for the movies, even if I haven't seen the whole movie. You know, I've kind of put each of them in, make sure they work, and I'm that geek. And, dude, it's awesome. It is awesome. You have to go check this out. If you're a Bergman fan, you need the uh, Ingmar Bergman Cinema Box Set by Criterion Collection. And I am not sponsored by them, by the way, and I would love to be. So, Criterion, if you're listening... By all means, check it out. Also, hopefully you liked the Star Wars conversation we had. If you agree or disagree, uh, please send us feedback. I'd love to get your feedback. Hit us up on social media at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email us at MediumCoolPod at gmail.com. I feel good. Next week is going to be one of Joe's picks, so that would be a big surprise. I literally still don't even know what it is, so he's going to be a weird guy. Anyways, we love you. Thank you so much for listening, and hey, good night, good luck, and take it easy.